Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, welcome to our show. This is Dateline Louisiana, where each week my co-host Ronna Gray and I talk about some of the subjects that are fresh in the news that deal primarily with our home state of Louisiana that we love, but we're uh, doting parents who have some criticism and also talk about the good things there. So, Ronna, glad you joined us today. Not glad, glad you put this all together. <laughs> hey, we're lively. You and Chris O'Laughlin, our producer, are here putting our show together, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, uh, some of the strange things that are hard for a lot of people to understand, aren't we? Yeah, this is going to be a, another interesting topic and one that people feel uh, very strongly one way or another. So um, we're going to talk today about things that divide us in America, uh, how evangelicals have made some decisions in politics that seem to surprise some people, and what's really driving uh, different groups to get behind uh, political movements and politicians that would seem at odds with their values. Well, Rana, uh, this was accentuated in the New York Times, a story I read here a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> where uh, the uh, the writer raised the question, why are evangelicals, uh, uh, those who have a strong religious base in their life on a regular basis, why are they leaning more towards Republicans? Uh, Donald Trump gets a strong group of support from evangelicals, uh, particularly in southern states, but really all over the country. Why is that uh, so pronounced when uh, uh, the president-elect, rather the former president, whether you like him or not, his personal life was kind of adrift and went off to a lot of different directions that you think might have turned off uh, the evangelical community. And so why do they seem, uh, I say they, you can't make a general term like that, but why do many evangelicals stray to the right and not are more open to change based on their religious views or religious values? And that's an interesting scenario that has been uh, a change that's taken place over a, a good period of time. So, uh, especially in our home state of Louisiana, uh, <clears throat> and and I get, a lot of the southern states are the same. We're not unique to this, Rana. But you can go back to see the changes that took place in the state, and and I think we've talked about this before. We've got very liberal metropolitan areas based where we have African-American mayors in New Orleans, in Shreveport. We did for a while in Alexandria, <coughs> Monroe. Uh, you can go throughout the, so many uh, cities in in the in the, in the uh, state. Uh, where there's more bastions of a liberal base. But you get out in our rural areas, and that is very dominating. Uh, you see a different focus. And, Ron, I'd share these facts with you. I thought it was interesting. I looked back over subject matter and saw, you know, Louisiana, uh, John F. Kennedy, as a Democrat, carried Louisiana very strongly when he ran in 1960. Barry Goldwater as a Republican, a conservative Republican, carried Louisiana in 1964. George Wallace, who an extreme candidate who ran not under either party, 
carried Louisiana in 1968. And so the state has made some tremendous changes on the national level, and that's reflected in the state level. You know, I was a, a statewide elected official in Louisiana in the 90s. Every elected official in the state was a Democrat. Now, today, there's no Democrats in statewide office outside of the governor, and we can talk about that at some point in time. He was kind of a fluke to get elected in the first place. Then he, as as an incumbent, was uh, strongly reelected in his reelection effort. But outside of the governor, every other official is, is, is Republican. So uh, you got any opinions as to why the evangelical community would uh, swing so far to the right in their in their uh, personal and political views. Jim, you know I am never at a loss for an opinion. You know that, first of all. <laughs> I'm going to tread lightly here now, but I personally think that this has a lot to do with uh, masculinity and with evangelicals sort of having this ideal view of uh, American men, uh, of being the patriarchs of the family, of being a man's man. Um, I think they did not particularly like, um, going back to the 60s, kind of a 60s uh, profile, they did not especially like uh, women getting more of a role in things, and that was not the hierarchy of the church there. And so I think that Donald Trump played to this very well and still does. He is not necessarily the most fit person we've ever had in, in the presidency. But when he is portrayed by his own campaign literature in these posters where he looks like Rambo, he's the man's man. He is not bowed by political correctness. He doesn't, you know, follow the rules. And there's a lot that they have. I mean, he's, you know, he's done things in his personal life that, they don't approve of, but he has agreed with them in advancing a political agenda that is so important to them that I think they have gradually decided we can live with immorality in your personal life as long as you advance a platform of the morality that we want in our in our lives. Well, I think uh, that... Uh uh, Trump and that view is helped along by the choices offered by the Democrats. The Democrats uh, have taken, have swung, where I mentioned how a state like Louisiana has swung to the right. There are other states and other venues that have swung uh, far, far to the left. We've seen that with certain prosecutors, district attorneys uh, who've been elected who want to defund the police and, you know, no bail and and uh, repeat offenders are let out uh, uh, with uh, not doing much to protect the public. And those invariably are Democratic uh, prosecutors. And we've seen the crime rise in so many metropolitan areas. That's often uh, given the blame to the Democrats. You've seen what Congress has done in terms of, uh, of a lot of, of the legislation they've passed that look like strong giveaways and uh, uh, strong social changes that you've seen with the Democratic Party. That's probably helped that view a lot a good bit. And, uh, and I've been torn by this, you know, and I'll tell you this, uh, I look on myself as a moderate 
I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, uh, I have am a registered independent. Uh, I was baptized in the Pentecostal church. Uh, my family was Pentecostal when I was raised in Kansas City in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, in my hometown of Faraday, where I lived and practiced law for many years and was an elected official based there, uh, my strongest supporters were evangelicals uh, who uh, actively supported me. And I've tried to raise this question to some degree, Rana, and uh, uh, I get back to what I think I mentioned before about changes that are taking place. Uh, I think there was a comfortable life for many of these folks, and they feel challenged. I'm sure race has something to do with it. Uh, so many of the mayors of these smaller towns now are African-American mayors, uh, a council t- that is majority African-American, and to a certain element in the evangelical community, that looks that's looked on as a threat. Uh, patriotism. You know, uh, I had a, a minister who came down to an LSU game, and he said that uh, uh, he couldn't believe that how few people stood for the national anthem, put their hand over their heart, didn't take their hat off their head. He said that it just seems like patriotism is going down the drain. Uh, I had a comment from other other friend that says, so many of us have American flags outside our house. You just don't see those in, in communities all over Louisiana anymore like you used to. Uh, and I, I've uh, lived for a good bit in a fairly affluent subdivision, and nobody flies the American flag in that subdivision. Where I live is a large subdivision. So uh, I had one out, I have one outside my house, and I have one outside of my office, and I'm a flag, uh, flag waver. But uh, uh, those are used as examples. Patriotism, I think the threat, uh, and I had this threat too. Uh, someone said, look, uh, I don't want to— uh, I don't want to mow grass for people. I don't want that job. I don't want to, uh, am I not in the construction business? Uh, I'm not putting on roofs and building houses. But, you know, when I look around, all I see are uh, immigrants who are coming and doing those jobs. It's not African-Americans that are overwhelmingly doing those jobs. It's, uh, uh, it's Latinos that are putting the roofs on, taking care of our babies. You know, if Trump wants to talk about, you know, all this onslaught, just look in your local community. Uh, I spend a lot of my summers up in North Carolina in a very rural community. Uh, it's hard to get to, and yet the golf courses and all the construction is being done by uh, Latino, the Latino community. And so that's looked on to some degree as a threat. So I guess all these factors have changed. Some people are slow for, to change. And I think maybe that's a, a major factor in Trump's uh, ability to hang on to that community because, what, as you said, whatever his lifestyle is, he's not advocating change. He's kind of advocating the status quo. The status quo or turning the pages back even to a time that they were more comfortable with. It's interesting you mentioned race because uh, there's no question he had strong evangelical support in both of the elections he ran for president, despite all the things that came out about him in his personal life that would maybe challenge their, their beliefs. If he runs again, he'll have it again. It'll be interesting if uh, Pent- Mike Pence takes him on because Mike Pence certainly um, has evangelical support and I, hel- I think helped bring that to Trump. 
But another interesting example, which takes race completely out of it, is Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker got a standing ovation from a strong evangelical Christian group, strongly supporting him. And he's, of course, running against an African-American minister, a very popular African-American minister. He has a child by his former wife, but he has three children by women he didn't marry. He has multiple accusations by these women of abuse. So he has a lot in his personal life that uh, in in our way of logical thinking, an evangelical would be concerned about, evangelical Christian. But he's Herschel Walker. You know, he's kind of a hero <laughs> and he's he's a man's man and he's a in a, a African-American culture, um, he's a strong black male figure, which is needed. So it's interesting that in that case, he's getting the same type of uh, evangelical Christian support that Trump enjoys. And he's also been endorsed by Donald Trump. Right. So uh, you see, uh, he's been uh, legitimized, if you will, within the uh, evangelical or the strong conservatives uh, who are Trumpites, saying, well, if Trump's okay with him, then, you know, uh, uh, and and when we weigh all alternative, it's going to be a Democrat who could make the difference in terms of uh, uh, recognizing more federal judges of a more liberal slant and uh, carrying on the Chuck Schumer liberal Democrat agenda that's been played up so much. Herschel's our kind of guy. Had a fundraiser in New Orleans, by the way, just last week. Came down and raised some money down here, and I saw where the lieutenant governor's lieutenant governor's got a big elephant, uh, you know, like twenty feet tall and twenty feet long on a trailer. And uh, I saw in the paper, I think today or yesterday, that the lieutenant governor is sending his elephant, his big red Democratic, rather Republican ele- elephant, to Georgia uh, <laughs> to help Herschel Walker. So I don't know how many votes the elephant will cause to be received. <laughs> But, uh, Our he, lieutenant governor loves a parade. No doubt about <laughs> it. No doubt about it. So, well, it's a, uh, uh, and again, when when uh, there is some understanding of the fact that uh, you want to be pretty much left alone and not have change. You, by the way, you gave an excellent example to me. I remember here some time back about uh, when you went to London on your very successful book, Familiar Evil. And you spent some time in uh, Bury St. Edmunds, uh, the community where the one of the, the focus of your book could spend some time. And uh, didn't you tell me that how th- that community had changed because of immigration and people who felt like, hey, we've got this little community. We go to the same church. We we have love our life. Now, all of a sudden, there's a huge onslaught of uh, of immigrants who don't really, f- you know, make any effort to fit in. They live in their own little world. And so that's caused a great disruption, hasn't and, it? And those were Muslim immigrants in both London and in Barry St. Edmunds in the countryside. Everywhere I went, uh, people were talking about that, and it was making them very, very uncomfortable because you have race now being introduced in a large way and religion uh, being introduced in a, in a large way. And I think that was really, you're right, very concerning to them that they were losing, um, I don't think the religion part has become as much of an issue in the United States as it is over there. 
Uh, but both are both are struggling with race. Definitely, both are struggling with uh, dark-skinned immigrants uh, being with the evangelical Christians a little more, uh, making them a little more uncomfortable. But it is very interesting that they have moved to a position where they publicly say people can commit immoral acts in their personal role, but that they as they'll be okay with them if they uh, advance their political agenda. So politics is now uh, rising above that. The book, I think, that that everyone's talking about is Jesus and John Wayne. Is that the book that um, is talking about how the evangelical movement uh, has fractured faith in, in the country? Um, it's, it, is, it is definitely something everyone's wrangling with at a time when... More and more Americans are identifying as secular people. They're not. They're leaving religions, so it's something I think even evangelical Christians will have to wrangle with. Have they made the right decision here? What do you think? Oh, I, I think you're right. I think there's a huge challenge by across the board people of leaving religion or become uh, agnostic or maybe uh, an occasional uh, Sunday and, and you know in the Catholic Church. Uh, the church is more crowded on, on Saturday than on Sunday, where the Lord said on the seventh day you rest. Well, they've swapped it around to Saturday now. So uh, uh, I think you're right in terms of that's a challenge for uh, ministers who are appealing to their folks to stay with me. And all that plays into that element of of, of us being challenged by them. And uh, and I don't want to cast any dispersion. Like I say, uh, I still have so many dear friends in the evangelical community in the state of Louisiana, across the state, who I hear from, who uh, are writing books, who uh, 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 come down, and and they always, uh, you know, they always come. And they always say a prayer, and they say, you know, nobody prays anymore. If if you uh, your meals in front of so many families is in front of the TV on a TV. TV tray uh, that they grab to watch some TV show. Uh, you don't sit down at the table anymore. Right. Nobody prays at a meal. And all my uh, evangelical friends, uh, uh, when they sit down in a restaurant, they hold hands and say a prayer. And uh, up in North Carolina, I find the same way. These are lawyers and judges, very devout uh, Christians. Uh, and uh, they uh, say a prayer. I've got a, a daughter who's married to uh, uh, a, a liberal Jewish fella, and uh, uh, they're fighting the fact that there's not as much participation and that uh, uh, people say, well, yes, I'm Jewish, but they're not regularly going to church anymore. And there's a real struggle there to hang on to the basis of family. and, and uh, Well, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where we are, is a great example of that. Two long-standing synagogues that for many generations have served uh, robust populations have merged into one. People said it would never happen, but they've merged into one. A lot, very large First Baptist Church will, will obtain one of the synagogues, and the other one will build new, and they'll merge, and they've been negotiating how that happens and who's the rabbi and all those things. But you're right. Uh, organized religion is shrinking, not expanding. So I think there needs to be some soul searching. 
Well, and which, you know, uh, and we're not on a religious uh, uh, review right now, but if we were, you'd raise the question, uh, you know, uh, if you're Christian, uh, and I, I am a, a borderline Christian, I'm a questioning Christian is what I am, uh, and I flirted with Catholicism, and, and, and once I uh, didn't leave being an being a, a, a evangelical Christian, I've kind of been soul-searching a good bit. My point is, what would the good Lord say? I mean, Jesus Christ came on the earth to uh, uh, save us and, and set us in a direction and, and bring a whole new way of living here, and yet people are leaving the, the, the church in droves. And again, as you said, not just the Christian church, but the Jewish religion. And I don't know how Muslims are doing, uh, whether they're... Uh, Growing. Are they? <laughs> well, well... Uh, uh, that could be. That sure could be. And that's you, you're a, right, though. It's not just religion. There are other things that um, cause us to uh, divide. And there's a very interesting documentary out called Shadowland that talks about how uh, conspiracy theories have been embraced by certain groups. And religion plays a part in that, too. And where conspiracy theories used to be something that was like in the background that we kind of snickered about it's now very mainstream, and um, it's in a mainstream in a way that um, you we we know people who have strong different opinions about something. We saw it with wearing masks during the pandemic, and how we had friends and family members that were adamantly opposed to it. Um, so that's another thing. The people that went to the Capitol on January six, they believed. I think they believed that they were patriots. I think they believed they were going to do the right thing. So it's become this, I think, even more important that where we get our information from has to be held to a much higher standard. Of course, social media has caused some of this. The 24-hour news cycle has caused some of this. News becoming entertainment has caused some of this. But... So have our religious leaders, and I think that's why people are leaving. I don't think evangelical Christians can can accept some of these very serious things that these men do and say, that's okay because they're going to install the right judges. That's okay. That's not okay. They've got to stand up, and you say, what if uh, the good Lord came back? Well, I don't think he would tell Herschel Walker, it's okay for you to beat up those women as long as you go— you know, vote right. I don't think that would happen. I think that's why people are are really questioning religion, and even you admit you question religion. So, and I think that you hit it to something that had to do with social media. I mean, uh, before, if you had a strong opinion, you disagreed with somebody, you'd stand up in the Rotary Club and rant and rave, <laughs> and uh, maybe vote for somebody else. But today, where you can go online, I mean, uh, if there's an article in a newspaper, you can go to the bottom of, of that newspaper article and give your opinion about that particular article and, and say how dumb this is or that sorry son of a gun or whatever you want to say. And you can do it for every article in the newspaper. That, so it's not just having a website or being on Facebook 
virtually anything that appears in the public domain, you can question in a way that lots of people see and lots of people hear. And that's, that's certainly got to have a, a major influence on how the flow of these opinions change and why people are so passionate about what they do. And just as we're getting mixed message from messages from religious leaders, we're, we're getting them from news anchors who that industry has been turned into entertainment. Fox News Network, you know, divides its news during the day from its sort of entertainment pundits at night, which they don't really consider news, uh, or they might, but I don't think a lot of other people do. But they are opinion. They're, they give their opinions on things. On the other hand, MSNBC, uh, the major NBC affiliate that has... Uh, people like Joe Scarborough, who was a Republican congressman, who heads up a very popular show, and they do the same thing more on the left. So uh, you're right. It's all over the spectrum, isn't it? It's entertainment, and uh, none of them are Walter Cronkite, you know, and Walter Cronkite would have never given his opinion on anything like that. So where do we go for the truth? I think that's what is keeping everybody divided because you— you well, don't, you, don't, well, you don't trust. You don't trust people. You know where you go for the truth? Dateline, Louisiana, <laughs> Rana. And we're going to wrap this segment up. Hey, listen, for all you listeners, uh, Rana Gray and Jim Brown here with you uh, uh, that are talking about this and other important issues. want to thank Chris O'Laughlin, our producer, who's producing our show. And we do a show every week, don't we, Rana? Put up one every Friday is our day of posting, isn't it? We've got so many opinions. We try to just you know, boil them down to that once a week. But yes, every Friday, there's a new Dateline Louisiana, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you don't listen to other podcasts, if we're the only one that you like, then you just go to Facebook or you go to DatelineLouisiana.com and you just, they're all posted there. They're all there. You can listen to them. You can listen to the, pick out the ones you want to listen to, listen to them in the order we've, we've brought them to you, but just uh, join us. And then like Jim says, Join the conversation. You can email us at Huey at DatelineLouisiana.com. Tell us what you'd like to talk about. Thanks, folks, for listening. We'll talk to you next Friday right here on Dateline Louisiana. Take care. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Rana Gray. To subscribe to this podcast or contact Jim or Rana, visit DatelineLouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.